Well, if you uh, do have a Bible this evening, I want to uh, turn with you to that passage that we just read from, from Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. And I'd just like to draw your attention, um, especially this evening, as we come to the Word of God, to verse 36. Verse 36. And he spake also a parable unto them. No man putteth a piece of a new garment upon an old. If otherwise, then both the new maketh a rent, and the piece that was taken out of the new agreeeth not with the old. And our subject this evening is the great need for conversion. The great need for conversion. A few weeks ago when I was here with you, we were considering a passage, weren't we, in Mark's Gospel, where the Lord Jesus Christ was dealing with the Pharisees. And you'll recall on that occasion that the background to the events in Mark's gospel there were a dispute between Christ and the Pharisees, and it was all regarding the true teaching of the Sabbath day. And Christ, as he so often did, he sought to uh, answer their questions, but at the same time as he was answering their questions, he was seeking to demonstrate to them gospel truths. He was trying to draw them away from their controversies, their, their, their minor points of the law that they were debating, and he short, sought to show them, didn't he, the, the truth of the gospel. By healing the man with the withered hand that we were thinking about a few weeks ago in the synagogue, he, he was showing to them, wasn't he, about this, this act of mercy on the Sabbath day, that it was fine, it was legitimate to do an act of mercy. But more importantly, he was demonstrating, wasn't he, the glorious power of the gospel, he was illustrating to those hard-hearted Pharisees their need spiritually and inwardly to come to Christ. Their hearts needed to be softened, didn't it? They needed to, they needed to repent of their sin. They needed to come to the Saviour who alone could heal them, who could deal with their hearts. And Christ used that opportunity there to go beyond the argument of the Sabbath day and to show them what was really and, and truly important. And in the passage that's before us here this evening, we have a very, in a sense, a very similar situation. Because again, we find the Pharisees, they're murmuring, complaining about Christ and his disciples. You notice that in verse 30, the scribes and the Pharisees murmured against his disciples. They said, why do you eat and, and drink with publicans and sinners? You then come to verse 33, because they go further. They complained that not only were they eating and drinking with, with sinners, but they were eating and drinking and never fasting. John the Baptist's disciples, they were often fasting. And the disciples of the Pharisees, they were often fasting. But Christ and his crude band of fishermen and publicans, they were always feasting. That was their, their complaint. Why, you know, how come you're not fasting like John the Baptist's disciples and like the disciples of the Pharisees and Christ responds to their murmuring and, and in part of his response he tells these two parables between verses 36 and 39 two very brief and short parables and the focus of these parables is not so much to answer the question regarding fasting and feasting but he seeks to draw them again back to the central theme and message of the gospel and Christ was a master, wasn't he, of telling short, pithy parables that were easy on one level to understand. 
parables that had a very obvious surface meaning. But as with virtually all of the Redeemer's parables, with all of the Saviour's uh, short stories, he was displaying to them deeper gospel truths. As you read the parables, you, you, you'll notice this, that he's always, always bringing before them the need of coming to Christ, showing to them gospel truths. He shows to them, he reveals to them in so many of them the truth of our sinful nature, for example. Or he illustrates in other parables the desperate plight that we're in without Christ. He shows to us our need of repentance or how lost we are in our sin or how we need to come and trust in the rock of Christ Jesus. He said they always show to us something of what Jesus is like and how great he is as a saviour and all that he would come and fulfil as he would die upon the cross at Calvary. And we could... We could spend a whole evening just going through the parables and showing how they bring out gospel truths. And, and this parable before us this evening is another one that does this. It's full of gospel truth. And by speaking these two parables here, Christ moves the focus away from this peripheral question regarding feasting and fasting. And he seeks to bring it right back to the real focus, to the central theme and that's of the good news that Christ can save. And Christ, in a sense, he says to him, look here, look, you're getting hung up on minor details, Pharisees. You're getting overly concerned about little things, and you're actually missing the big points. You're missing the real point of why I've come. The Pharisees were continually like that, weren't they? They were omitting the weightier matters of the law, like judgment and mercy and faith. The Bible tells us that they strained at gnats and yet they swallowed a camel. And Christ comes here and he shows them what they really needed. And the thrust of these two parables here is that what man really needs is conversion. Man's need is not to patch up the old life. It's not to uh, try and sort of put a sticky plaster over what we already have. No, Christ here is emphasizing to us that we need something utterly new and something transforming. Christ says here we need to experience conversion. We need to be born again, born anew. We need new life. And so as we begin this evening, let me ask you right at the start, are you someone who's experienced conversion? Are you converted? Have you been born again? Do you know this life? This life that Christ gives? Well, perhaps there's someone here tonight and you have to be honest and you have to say, well, that's not true of me. I haven't experienced conversion. Perhaps you don't really know what I'm talking about. You don't really understand perhaps even this kind of language. Well, I want you to follow with me tonight as we just look at the first of these two parables this evening, just this one here in verse 36. Notice what Christ is saying here. And as we do so, as we think about this, this theme of the great need of conversion, as we look at it, I want us to just ask a number of questions as we go through this parable tonight. And the first thing that we need to ask ourselves really is, why do I need conversion? Why do I need to experience conversion in my life? We've said here that our greatest need is conversion. Well, perhaps you're thinking, well, why? 
I've managed so far through life without it. Why do I need it? Well, turn with me to this parable here in verse 36 and just look at me, look with me at what Christ says here. Christ says at the beginning, no man putteth a piece of a new garment upon an old. Christ here, he presents a very straightforward scenario, one that we can, in a sense, all understand. Christ is here, he's talking about two garments, two coats, we might say. And he says, look, the first is it's a brand new coat, just being bought. Everything's perfect about it. The cloth is clean, it's unspoilt, there's no tears in the fabric, every stitch is perfectly in place. You, you can imagine this coat that Christ is talking about, it's even got that new coat smell, and it's always oh, just perfect. That's the first garment that, that Christ brings to our attention here. But the second garment is, is very different. He says, no man putteth a piece of a, a new garment upon an old, an old coat. It's one that's clearly been ripped as you go on through the parable. It's, it's desperately in need of repairing. It's ragged from its many years of being worn and washed and used. It's spoilt. It's, we might say, the very opposite of the first one. It's, it's just completely different. Now we need to just pause here for a moment and say, well, what do these coats represent? What is Christ speaking about here as he speaks of the coats? Well, obviously, in the context that we were thinking about earlier, fasting and feasting, Christ is showing the difference between the new and the old life, but he's going further with gospel truths here. And this parable that Jesus is telling is he's actually borrowing language from the Old Testament. He's borrowing pictures that are used throughout the, the scriptures, and he is using very significant language. Let me just illustrate what I mean here, because Christ is not speaking necessarily just about fasting and feasting, but he's actually speaking about our nature, about what we are like. Let me just bring to your attention two passages, and the first is the one that we read from earlier, Genesis chapter 3. And you'll recall there that we read about Adam and Eve, we read about how sin entered the world, how they disobeyed God, how they rebelled against their maker, their creator, and in verse 7 details what was the very first thing that Adam and Eve did after they had sinned. Notice what they did there, verse 7. The eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Once their eyes had been opened, once they had sinned against God, once they had disobeyed him, the first thing they did was they sought to cover up their nakedness. They sought to clothe themselves. They sought to cover their shame by, by sewing these fig leaves together. They made this, this rough uh, idea of clothing. And so we see here, right in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 3, there's an immediate link between being clothed and man's sin. Now we know that, as we read on, that what they made was utterly insufficient, wasn't it? We find out at the end of the chapter that they sought to provide themselves with a covering but God had to provide them with another one instead. You see, the leaves of a fig tree were not enough. God made them one from animal skins. You notice that there in uh, verse uh, 21, unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothed them. Their sin, their shame, their guilt it actually required death, didn't it, and blood to be shed. That's what the point that God was making there. If they were to become adequately covered before God, something had to die. 
and blood had to be shed. But the main point that I'm drawing out of this this evening is this, there's this link between falling into sin and then being clothed, between guilt and shame and being clothed. Now, the second passage is in Isaiah's got in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 64, a, a very familiar verse, I'm sure, to many of you here this evening. Isaiah 64 and verse 6. This is what the Lord says here. He's describing man in his sin. He says, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Literally, all our righteousnesses are as filthy garments or filthy clothes, soiled, marred, stained. He says here, look, our lives are unclean. Our righteousnesses are, are just like filthy rags before God. You notice that he doesn't say our unrighteousness is like filthy rags. He says our righteousness is like filthy rags. He says the very best that we can offer God, our best law-keeping, our best deeds, all our goodness. He says these things are nothing but like a, a filthy and disgusting rag before God. It's something that's utterly inadequate. And Christ says, sinner, that's you tonight. And as we turn back to Luke chapter 5, Christ is borrowing this language from the Old Testament. There's many more places that we could turn to that show the link between being clothed and and our sin and between our righteousness and and how it's like a filthy garment before God. And Christ is borrowing this language and he's showing to us here in in Luke chapter 5 and verse 36, he's describing us in our unchanged and sinful states. Our lives are like an old garment. Our righteousnesses are like a tired and filthy and threadbare coat. It's falling apart at the seams. It's utterly inadequate. And Christ says, look, this is us tonight in our fallen state. This is what we're like before God. We're like an old coat. A number of years ago, when I used to run the children's club at Hambleton, I had to, I can't remember what I was speaking on, but I wanted to illustrate this very truth that before God, you know, God is repulsed by us, that God looks at us and he sees us in our filthy clothes. And, and I was wondering all week how I was going to present this to the boys and girls, how I was going to tell them what we are like before God. And uh, I was on the farm and I, was, I remember I was milking the cows and I looked at myself and what I was wearing And I realized that in a sense, I was a walking example of what it was to be uh, someone who was filthy and disgusting and repulsive in a sense. I looked at my overalls, they were filthy, Uh, they stank, they were stained with all sorts of chemicals and cow's excrement and the top pocket was ripped off and there was missing buttons. And uh, I realized that what I was wearing would be a perfect illustration for these boys and girls. So... When I finished milking, I took my clothes off, had a shower, I put them all in a bin bag, and I took them to the club. And uh, the children were all sat down in front of me, and I took out the first item of clothing, and I just threw it to a child. And I took out the next one, and I threw it to another child. And well, by the time I got to the last item of clothing, the children were scattering, <laughs> and they were running away. I just remember opening the bag and the stench that came out, and the, 
And the children were holding up these garments and they were absolutely repulsed by them. They were disgusted by them. And I think I managed to, in, in a sense, get my point across. Most of these children, of course, came from the local housing estate. They'd never been on a farm. And I just remember one of the children just holding it at arm's length, you know, desperately trying to hold their nose and give it back to me. And you see, but Christ is saying to us, this is what our lives are like before him. Our lives are like a filthy, stinking, and stained garment. And sinner tonight, here is a description of you. And I don't want to be, in a sense, overly offensive to you, but it's, it's, un it's an unpleasant description, isn't it? This is what our sin has done to us. Our hearts are like a coat that is stained and ripped, and there is a stench to our lives that is unpleasant before God's. And there's no way that we can approach God dressed in our filthy rags. There's no way that we can come before him with sinful and corrupt hearts. Our sin needs to be dealt with. And this is the message that runs actually all the way through this particular section of Mark's gospel. You go back to verse 18, for example. We see there about a man who was brought before the Lord, who was sick of the palsy. He was a paralyzed man. And you see how, you remember that occasion, how he was let down through the roof. His friends, four friends, brought him and took him up upon the roof and they opened up the roof and lowered him to the feet of Jesus Christ. And, and what was it that Jesus says to this man in verse 20? He says, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. Christ is, he immediately comes in, doesn't he? And he, he puts his finger on this man's problem. You see, this man's problem was not his infirmity, was not his paralysis. His problem was his sin. You'd think, wouldn't you, the first thing that he would say to him was, you rise up and walk. But no, Christ says, thy sins are forgiven thee. You see, he's pointing out to them what his greatest need was for his sins to be forgiven. You see, his greatest problem was not his paralysis, but his sin. And that's true of us this evening. And we can go on even into verse 31 that we read this evening. Jesus Christ, he's speaking to the Pharisees there. He's been eating and drinking with publicans and sinners. And Christ says to them, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, Christ is putting his finger all the time on their great issue, and that is of their sin and their need for repentance. And do you see, friends, tonight why conversion is, is absolutely necessary? Why this is the thing that you need? Because the coat that you're wearing is not good enough. And your sinful life, it condemns you before a holy and a just God. We've seen then the, the need for conversion, why we need it. But notice, let's just think about a second question. And that is, well, why can I not just patch up the old life? Why can't I just do something that can deal with my life and, and I'll be all right before God. Why can't I patch up the garments? Look again at what Jesus says in verse 36 in this parable. No man, he says, putteth a piece of a new garment upon an old. If otherwise, then both the new maketh a rent and the piece that was taken out of the new agreeeth not with the old. In other words, Christ says, look, no man would think of taking a brand new coat, getting out a pair of scissors, cutting a patch out of that brand new coat just to put a patch upon this old filthy garment. It's ludicrous. It's, it's madness. 
It's madness for two reasons that Christ brings to our attention here. And you notice the, the first one there. He says, look, it's going to make the, the new one rent. You've spoiled this brand new garment. This pristine new coat, you've got to put up a great big hole in it. Why would you do that? It's no longer a new coat once you take your scissors to it and you start chopping it up. And the second reason is this, look, the patch won't match the old. You know what it's like to try and colour match something. You know, if you've ever had a, a wall you've got to paint and you think, I'm going to try and find the colour that matches this paint. And no matter how hard you try, you'll never find it. Unless you have the code of the paint that was used or the actual name of the colour, you can never do it. And it's just the illustration that Christ is using here. He says, look, if you take off a brand new patch of a, of a new coat and you put it onto an old faded garment, it's not going to match up. It's going to look out of place. It's just going to reveal, isn't it, just how faded and how old and how stained and unclean the old garment is. You know how it is if you have an old white shirt and you hold it up against a, a brand new white shirt. It's so obvious you thought the shirt was white until you put it next to a, a new shirt. And the point that Christ is illustrating is, look, in the end you've achieved absolutely nothing. A perfectly new coat has been ruined and you failed miserably to patch up the old. And actually, if you go to Matthew's account in Matthew chapter 9, where, he, where we have the same parable recorded for us, Christ actually brings out something more. It's not here in, in Luke's account, but he actually shows that not only do you ruin the new garments, but you actually ruin the old, not just from an aesthetic point of view, but you actually tear it even more. In, Mark, in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 16, he says, No man putteth a piece of a new cloth onto an old garment, for that which is put in to fill it up taketh from the garment, and the rent is made worse. Now Christ here, he's, he's speaking about cloth that is shrunken and unshrunken. Now we don't really understand, perhaps we're unfamiliar with these things today, because when we buy clothes, all our clothes are already pre-shrunk in that sense, pre-washed. But in those days, in the New Testament days, when you put a, a piece of new cloth on that hadn't been shrunken, the moment you washed that old garment with the, with the patch on, that patch would shrink and tear the, the tear that was already there. And it would rip it and make it the hole even bigger. That old garment would have a degree of brittleness, wouldn't it? And the thread would be thin and it would be frayed. And, it, and as that patch began to shrink, as Christ says here, it would just make the, the rent worse. And so as you put this all together, you end up having a new coat utterly ruined and you have an old coat that's been spoilt even further. And Christ is saying, look, you cannot simply patch up your old life. There's nothing that you can do to mend or to repair the old garment. It's beyond hope. In actual fact, by trying to mend it, all you do is make everything worse. And this may be the case with somebody here tonight. You think that there's something that you can do to mend and fix the problems in your life. You, you imagine that you're capable of solving your greatest problem of sin. Remember the context here. Christ is speaking to the Pharisees, these ultra-religious, these overzealous, outwardly pious Pharisees. They followed all the law. They fasted. They said their prayers. They tithed of all they possessed and so on and so on. They foolishly imagined that they could patch 
up their lives with a bit of religious zeal. They thought they could mend their sin-sick hearts and yet they had to come to realise that there was nothing that they could do. They thought their religious observances and their feigned enthusiasm for God's law would be good enough for God, but it wasn't. And this may be true of you tonight. You think a little bit of Christ, a little bit of religion will do. A little bit of church. You come dressed smartly to church. You come every week. You read your Bible. You listen to the sermons. You know a great deal about what the Bible says. You think that this patch will fix your life. A bit of outward religion in your life will will save you. But you know, friends, you cannot have works and you cannot mix it with grace. You cannot continue to serve this world and try and be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It doesn't work. And Christ shows to us that in actual fact you're in great danger because if you try this, you'll make your life even worse. Religion never saved a soul. Baptism never saved a soul. Coming to church never saved a soul. What you need is repentance. You need to be converted. You see, what Christ is saying here is you need a colossal change. You need an utter transformation. You need something new. There's nothing, friends, that you can put on the old garments that will patch it up and bring you salvation. And that takes us to a third question then. Well, what is conversion? We've seen our need for conversion. We've seen that we cannot just patch up our old lives. Well, what is it to be converted? How can I recognize what it is? How can I experience this conversion? Well, Christ gives us the answer here. And Christ, this is the key really to the parable, and that's the new garment. We've spoken about this old coat, but Christ doesn't just speak about the old coat. He speaks about a new coat. And Christ is speaking there about his righteousness. He's speaking of himself. This coat that he mentions here, it's a perfect coat. There isn't a single blemish in this coat. It's spotless, it's pure, there's nothing wrong with it. Christ is the only one who's ever lived a pure and perfect life. He was holy, harmless, undefiled and separate from sinners. He was the one who had no guile in his mouth. Every thought of the Saviour was pure. And as Christ speaks of this new garment here, he's speaking of himself and his righteousness. And yet the great message, you see, of the gospel is that Christ, as the spotless Lamb of God, laid down his life for his sheep, didn't he? That he might bear their sin. He became our propitiation. The wrath of God was laid upon him. It was redirected away from those who trust in him and it landed upon the Saviour. And the glorious message of these glad tidings is that for all who trust in Christ, that his perfect righteousness is imputed to them. It's given to them. Christ's perfect coat is His robe of righteousness is is laid upon those who trust in him. The old coat's gone. It's done away with. Those who come and trust in Christ, they're no longer clothed in the old filthy rags of your own righteousness. No, you're clothed in the spotless coat of Christ. So conversion is the repenting of our sins. It's the trusting of Christ. We have to lay hold of him. The parable is so clear, isn't it? Why would you take a brand new coat, cut it out, cut it into pieces and try foolishly to patch up and repair the old life when you can just take the brand new coat and put that on? 
It makes no sense, does it, to patch up the old when there's a brand new coat sitting there waiting to be put on. I know this doesn't mean so much to those of you perhaps who are male, but you know, ladies, you, particularly, you like to perhaps buy clothes. Why would you wouldn't take, would you, an old coat and just and, and do away with it with, when you've got the, the new coats? Why would you take a, an old coat and try and patch it up when, when you can go out and get another one? It doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't make sense to get rid of the new coat and to ruin the new coat when you can have something that is brand new and pristine and spotless. Top lady put it like this, didn't he? Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Saviour, or I die. He said, look, I've got to come naked to Christ. Give me your spotless robe of your righteousness. That's what I need. Not a bit of religion on the side. Not a bit of good works. Not a bit of Bible reading. Not a baptism. Not coming to the Lord's table. None of these things will save. No, you need to put on the new robe of Christ. You see, coming to Christ is just like putting on a coat. Now, for the vast majority of us here, that's a very simple thing, isn't it? Say to my children, can you go and put your coats on? They take their coat, they put it on. It's not a particularly difficult thing to do, is it? It doesn't involve a great deal of effort. It doesn't involve a great deal of thinking. You just put the coat on. And while conversion is the most radical and the most life-transforming thing, yet at the same time it's a very simple thing, isn't it? You want a picture of what conversion looks like? You just look at the passage that we read from verse 27 particularly. Look at Levi. I said that this whole section earlier just focuses on the need for conversion. Just look at Levi there. Here he just provides us with a very simple picture of what it is to come and trust in Christ. You notice what it says there after these things. Jesus went forth and he saw this publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me. Verse 28, and he left all, rose up, and followed him. Here's rich Levi. Here's a, here's a publican. Here's someone who's despised by society. Here's one who's got through life by stealing and cheating and a bit of dodgy accountancy. He had a great, he had a lucrative business, and yet he hears the voice of Christ, and he just rises up and follows him. He leaves behind his cash register, he leaves behind his ledger, he leaves behind that lucrative business, he leaves behind his cash, he leaves everything behind. And he follows the Saviour. And friends, tonight that's what conversion is. It's the most mighty transformation that could ever take place in the human heart. It's putting on this new coat. It's not a difficult thing to do to calm and to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me implore you tonight, sinner, do not carry on vainly trying to patch up your old life. Instead, you come to Christ in faith and receive the new. And may God help each one of us here tonight to understand these truths. And I pray there wouldn't be any of us here tonight that leave still dressed in our filthy rags, but that, like Isaiah says, that we would leave in those glorious garments of salvation and that we would be robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ.